So this is an overview, and it's a fast, broad overview. Um, so we'll see how far we can get. This is an artist's conception of an early mammal mother. You can see the, the, this is about 200 million years ago. The, the, one of the babies is crying. The separation cry is, is universal in, in mammals, uh, including platypuses. And, uh, and so the mother-infant uh, relationship is, uh, is universal. Now, I'm not going to say much about fathers. They, they do exist, and there are famous cases of fatherhood. Um, it's uh, very, been very important in my life, despite uh, uh, the way I look in that picture. And <laughs> fathers can be very important in, in hunter-gatherer societies, but not all. So I'll just say about the mother-infant bond that we have um, at least five functions. Nutrition and homeostasis is an obvious one. Uh, protection from predators is another one, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that. The optimization of birth spacing uh, is important and may be dependent on nursing frequency in, in primates and including humans. The transfer of immunity is very important, uh, uh, and that may be proximity dependent. If you're going to have the right antibodies in, in your milk uh, for your baby, you don't want to have been exposed to very different microbes than, than your baby. And, of course, the non-genetic transmission of, of uh, behavior, which becomes very important in primates and super important in, in humans. There's a lot of different kinds of primate parenting, including the top middle picture, the, the importance of fathers among the, uh, the marmoset family. But for the catarines, which are uh, old-world monkeys, apes, and I'll try to convince you, humans, you have a particular uh, emphasis on the mother-infant complex, including uh, intimacy before and after birth, 24-hour uh, contact in the first weeks, proximity 20 around the clock until weaning, very frequent daytime nursing, night, nighttime nursing until weaning, uh, and, uh, and relatively late weaning and bad consequences of uh, both separation and isolation in early life. Upright posture is, uh, is something that intervened to make life more difficult for mothers, and, uh, and yet it worked. The, the brain expansion um, occurred ab uh, about 4 million years, or began about 4 million years after the evolution of upright posture, so at least, at least women got a... Uh, or their ancestors got a four million year rest in between those two <laughs> blows against their anatomy. I'm going to run quickly through uh, some fossil evidence that's relevant to the evolution of the ch childhood and the family. This is Artipithecus, uh, which uh, has small male canines and, uh, and very little size difference between the sexes that might point to uh, uh, a pair bond and, uh, and male investment at that early stage. And then in the Lucy species, uh, Australopithecus afarensis, uh, we have a beautiful specimen uh, of a developing child, uh, the Dikika child. And because of, of the opportunity to, to image uh, tooth eruption, 
And because of the exposed endocranial cast, it's possible to say that the Dikika child was developing on a brain development trajectory not, not different from, uh, from apes. Then sometime later, another Australopithecine, the town child, actually the first Australopithecus fossil ever discovered, is also in that same age range, also has a beautifully exposed endocranial cast, was probably killed by a large raptor based on the markings in the orbits of the eyes. And, uh, and also is developing on an, on an ape-like uh, trajectory. So that's the, uh, that tells you something about the consequences of not, uh, not being uh, in the immediate proximity of, of, of a parent, uh, especially a mother. And in, uh, in Homo erectus, we have a more advanced uh, stone tool making than, uh, uh, than earlier forms of Homo, and at least gradually evolving. And we have a beautiful uh, fossil specimen of a, of a young boy, age estimated nine years from one and a half million years ago, who would have been very tall and whose endocranial cast suggests both fine hand control and a possible pre-adaptation for language. But that's about it for the fossil record of, of childhood. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the fossil record it kind of reminds me of the fossil record in Toto when I was in graduate school, which is a few specimens and a lot of theories uh, uh, being thrown at them. And what we need is more fossils of, of children. So now, beginning about uh, 300,000 years ago, we have a, uh, the advanced, at least modern, humans. And that's what I'm going to be talking about mainly from now on. The, the hominin brain expansion was a tripling in size, but as shown by a, a group including Todd Preuss, who's here, uh, the human brain has a distinctive pattern of gene expression and is not just three times bigger. It's histologically different, and, it's, and, and as Todd likes to say, it's been rewired and is running hot. Now, the gene expression uh, in development is crucially different. And in this beautiful study, you have uh, evidence in human uh, fetuses of 12 to 14 weeks of gestational age of that gene expression is already la lateralized in the, in, in the parts of the cortex that will become uh, the language areas and the right hemisphere uh, contrast to them. And there are 27 differently expressed genes in, that, in, in those parietal areas, but not in the frontal or, or occipital areas. So we're getting a, uh, uh, an idea of the crucial differences in, uh, in gene expression during development that make all the difference for for humans. So I'm going to now talk about the shape of human childhood in the context of the hunter-gatherer experience uh, of childhood and try and put those things together. This is the famous curve, human uh, uh, growth velocity curve, put together by the Count uh, de Montbéal in, uh, in the 1760s, and that's his son's uh, growth velocity. But what was new about humans compared to chimpanzees, uh, uh, first of all and, and foremost, is the, uh, the fact that brain, uh, brain growth after birth continues to, to be at fetal rates for at least a year. And that's another change in the transcriptome, although it also has to do with what Wendell was talking about. Um, and in this nice study, the brain transcriptome was showed to be remodeled during postnatal development. So we have developmental changes 
that are delayed relative to other primates, and the idea of neoteny is sort of getting revived in the genome. Humans are born too soon, if you make that comparison. You can see the, uh, the gorilla newborn is, uh, is perkier and brighter looking and cuter in every way. So when should we be born? There are theories, serious theories, that, that predict that we should have been born after 12 months of gestation. I'll explain why. After 18 months of gestation, after 21 months of gestation, and that can't be. So... The result is uniquely human infancy. But how do you characterize human infancy when you have all this cross-cultural variation? And I was interested in, the, uh, in infancy in, um, in hunter-gatherers and, and in childhood in hunter-gatherers. Bowlby used the term environment of evolutionary adaptedness for that group of people, which you've heard a lot about today. But the right term is environments of evolutionary adaptedness, and there was no one uh, hunter-gatherer adaptation. And this is just one example, the Kung San, or Bushman of Botswana. And that's yours truly in an earlier incarnation. Uh, and this is an example of what the life cycle does in humans. <laughs> This is what you would see if you walked up to a Kung uh, village, and, uh, and uh, they were still hunting and, and gathering uh, when we were doing our studies in the 1970s. And these are some scenes uh, of village life. Fire is very important. Most of life takes place in, uh, for children, in front of those, especially small children, in front of those huts around the fire. And um, this is cute, but it doesn't begin to describe how complicated their lives are. I, w I won't go into it all, but it's a lot more than food, clothing, and shelter. Women provided 70% of, uh, of the food by calories, did 90% of the child care, uh, enjoyed largely equal influence with men, had strong female friendships, and sometimes took lovers, which I would take as an indication of their autonomy. This is a 34-year-old having a baby, uh, or just having had a baby, I should say. Uh, she's in stage three labor uh, in the left, uh, giving birth to the placenta. Then, uh, meanwhile, the, the baby's head is, quote, molded by the mother's sister. Mother carries the infant back. Uh, the mother puts the infant to the breast, and the baby's greeted by uh, his older sister. This is the position that infants spend a great deal of their time in. In this case, the sling gets them to be uh, in a position where they can have both uh, facing, uh, facing the world and seeing the, uh, the mother's face, and they can, uh, can be carried and rocked, and they're in an up right posture, and they can see what the mother is doing with her hands and play with things that are around the mother's neck, and, and it's, it's kind of a good deal. So physical contact is extremely extensive in this uh, uh, culture for infants. You can see the comparison with uh, Boston 10-month-old girls observed in a similar manner, and that's what you see in hunter-gatherers and throughout the world. I should say that the short answer to the question of whether the Kung are representative in terms of, of childhood experience, the short answer is yes. Early relationships are very important and extend beyond the, the mother, but the, the mother is the, is the central relationship. This is one of the, the savannah hunter-gatherers cultures or semi-arid hunter-gatherer cultures that don't have tandem nursing or, or, or non-maternal nursing. 
Crying is a very important signal, and the response to crying is is very important, especially in the in the first three months. The recent analysis of data uh, on response to crying shows you that others are involved. Others besides the mother are involved a lot of a lot, in a lot of the responses to to crying. Although the very long responses, the mother always gets gets involved. So there's a dense social context that produces routine care. Mothers' burdens are significantly reduced, and but mothers are always involved if the crying lasts 30 seconds or more. And if you think that that's an important experience for, for an infant, then the mother is a pretty important person. These are some of the others. You have a uh, grandmother on the upper right, but uh, you also have uh, aunts and, and cousins and siblings and and also fathers who are uh, involved in direct interaction as well as contributing to the sustenance of the infant. So this is a period, the first three months postnatal, that's been called the fourth trimester by um, pediatrician Harvey Karp. And uh, and it's a it's a difficult situation, uh, which is a help, very helpless baby, and that cooperative breeding uh, is very important. And then at three months, there is an important uh, change, which is a replacement of of excessive crying by smiling uh, and the rise of mutual gaze. Uh, this is why that's been referred to as the fourth trimester. Parents tend to say that they decided their kid was finally human at this stage. And these, uh, this is a cross-culturally reliable uh, thing. So the, in, in terms of the shape of infancy, you also have delayed attachment. And that provides the second theory about why we should be born at 18 months, because that's about the time when a, a, when a firm attachment uh, is possible between uh, infant and caregivers, not just the mother, but usually uh, some single primary caregiver more than anyone else. And that relationship is, is very important. At approximately nine months of age, in the second half of the second year of life, infants in all cultures, regardless of how much uh, intimacy they have with, with uh, their mothers or anyone else, uh, experience an increase in separation, protest, and fear of strangers. So why is that a constant? Well, that's an, that's an evolved constant, and it has to do with brain development. The major fi- fiber tracts of the limbic system are, are developing exactly at that time. And you might remember that the study that shows that postnatal development uh, uh, gene expression patterns were uh, remodeled in human evolution. So I think we have something that could be called postnatal neuroembryology. We also have earlier weaning than apes do, even though this looks like very late weaning, uh, H3 uh, in, in the Kung. It's, it's early compared, compared to all, all the great apes, and it, it results from, from a pattern of, of very frequent nursing and uh, but uh, and so w- we succeeded partly because we were able to shorten birth spacing. But uh, just as a pa- in passing, what were they being weaned to? Not <laughs> this or this or this. However, they were weaned to to something that was important. And this is another version of of what what uh, Hilly just showed you, and it comes from his uh, landmark paper with Lancaster and Hattado and Hill. Uh, which shows the the improvement in mortality in hunter-gatherers 
due to, uh, compared to chimps due to post-weaning provisioning. So what is happening at the time of weaning uh, uh, in hunter-gatherers as, uh, is uh, language acquisition. And I don't think that's incidental because you get a diffusion of care and you need a, a communication uh, system and this video shows you the, uh, uh, the myelination of the, uh, the arcuate fasciculus, the, the fiber tracts uh, connecting uh, parts of the cortex that are involved in language by age and in months. This is uh, largely a pre-programmed developmental plan, just like the development of the limbic system fiber tract. And, uh, and it is a specifically human uh, uh, a derived evolutionary trait uh, which enables language to be acquired in, in ways that we don't quite understand yet. Also, we have the addition of middle childhood. Uh, that is a, a prolonged period between um, uh, the leveling off of growth and, and temporarily and, and puberty. And this is a period where a lot of cultural transfer takes place. I can't go into this but uh, the, the uh, teaching is, uh, as, as I believe with, with Barry, is uh, a human universal, and it's far more likely in humans than any other species. And in addition to having an instructor teaching a learner, you have collaborative learning between learners at the same level in humans. So here, here's a, an example of two children looking at something together. We don't know what it is, but they're, they're, they're looking at it together, and that joint attention is very special uh, in humans. Childhood play and subsistence uh, are, are intermingled, so the, there are games that lead to knowledge of subsistence, but there, are also, there is also subsistence. The, the power of enculturation in humans in, in hunter-gatherers is enormous, and it's not just about knowledge, it's about, about emotions. Uh, look at the smile on this girl's face. Uh, an American child would be referred. <laughs> I can't uh, leave you without mentioning briefly the existence of new data on epigenetic inheritance, the possibility that, that uh, acquired characteristics uh, are inherited through DNA methylation. This remains controversial to some extent, but it's been shown in, in a variety of different no domains, including maternal behavior uh, in, in rats. And finally, uh, reproductive maturity is postponed uh, and that, that mid-growth spurt that you see might be, uh, according to, to uh, um, some theories, is a, is a vestige of ape puberty, which occurs at around that great ape puberty around that age, and that we've stuck this period of middle childhood in to uh, facilitate a tremendous amount of, of uh, enculturation and transfer of knowledge. So boys and girls have to, uh, to do a lot of new kinds of, of work once they develop their, uh, uh, their, undergo their hormonal transformation. And my last point is that, that uh, we now know the adolescent brain is continuing to, to develop, the, the frontal lobes are continuing to, to develop until around age 25. And uh, the age of puberty has not stayed the same over the last couple of centuries. So therefore, um, the hormonal transformation with all its 
negatives is taking place against a, a, a poorer inhibitory system in frontal lobes. Lastly, I, I have a speculation that about the, the evolution of modern humans, that these, these two paintings show children respectively working and playing at, at the seaside, collecting uh, uh, shellfish in the, in the lower picture. And that has been shown to be very important in, uh, in some hunting and gathering societies. So my, my speculation is that the, that the spread of humans from, uh, uh, from Africa to Australia in a relatively short period of time was led by children uh, who were exploring the immediate environment of their uh, 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 of their parents a little further and a little further and a little further along the coast, uh, always wanting to get f some distance between themselves and their parents. So, nothing in biology makes sense except in the light of evolution, and nothing in childhood does either. Thank you.